Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be reviewing and going over the next cover story. So yeah, we'll be taking a slight detour, uh, but we will get back to the NES lobby after this. However, since this cover story ends around this point in the manga, but I do realize this is quite an awkward place to take a break, but it was either now or way later till the end of the arc, so I figured now would be a good time before we start the third act of the NES lobby. The cover story that we will be exploring on this episode is Miss Golden Week's Operation Meat Broke Works. Or the literal translation of the title though is actually closer to Miss Golden Week's operation name, Meet Baroque. Like it doesn't even actually have the works part in the Japanese title, which is very weird. I, I feel like that's a interesting shorthand that I've never heard before until this title. This is the eighth cover story in the series and it was never animated into the anime, but I will tell you like many of the other cover stories up till now, the events of this cover story do play a major role in the story later on down the line, which my obligatory complaint about how these aren't turned into episodes upsets me. I'll include that here. <laughs> Miss Golden Week's Operation Meet Baroque Works is a 42 installment plus one extra. I don't even know why they consider it an extra. And it spans chapters 349 through uh, 413 and takes place after the events of Arabasta. Uh, as well as kind of follows them throughout the rest and kind of beyond too. And the reason for the extra installment, I believe, is because while it has a lot to do with the story, it doesn't actually include Miss Golden Week or any of the main cast of characters. So the cover story revolves around some other characters, but we'll get more into that later in the podcast. Alrighty, so with that, let's get right into it. So we pick up on a shot of Mr. Three's candle house back on Little Garden, which just goes to show how durable and strong Mr. Three's wax candles really were, just as he boasted when he was fighting Luffy. I mean, they survived the harsh jungle environment of Little Garden all this time, and we see that since the events of Little Garden, Miss Golden Week, as well as Mr. Five and Miss Valentine have all just kind of been living on the island since they have no real way of getting off the island with no ship since Mr. Three just seemingly left them after his defeat to Luffy to chase after them to Arabasta. Kind of a dick move, but then again, we know that Mr. Three is a dick, so <laughs> it's not really out of character. We then see Miss Golden Week buying a newspaper from the news queue to discover that the Baroque works were defeated and apprehended by the Marines. And now you might be wondering... If they had access to the news coup, why didn't they just ask it to bring help? And I think that's because if they did tell it, it would most likely send the Marines to rescue them, and then they'd just be immediately arrested since they're already wanted criminals, even before all the Baroque Works stuff, because they were all very notorious pirates prior to joining Baroque Works. Anyways, seeing that her former boss and teammates were captured and in prison, she decides that she needs to go help and rescue them, despite them seeming the seeming protest from Mr. Five and Miss Valentine. We then see her use her colors trap ability on one of the local pterodactyls and befriends it to help fly them off the island and with that they're off. Although one thing of note is that she uses a new colors trap here that we have yet to see by mixing yellow and green together to make Tomodachi no Kimidori which is basically just friendly yellow green. So yeah that's a pretty cool thing that they added here. And we'll actually see an another new color as well later on. 
With the pterodactyl to help them, they all hop aboard and fly off Little Garden for good. But one interesting thing about this installment is that Dory just kind of waves goodbye, all friendly like to them. And the reason why this is weird is because you'd think Dory and Broggy would still be a little pissed off about their involvement in hurt, you know, trapping them, harming them, and tricking them, and, and kind of putting an interruption on their century long duel. As well as Mr. Five kind of blowing them both up at various points in their conflict. But I guess bygones are bygones and they've kind of forgiven them. Which, I, you know, it's, it's a great mentality. Yeah, there's just the fight's over. And so they just kind of all move on, which is, I guess, a healthy way of looking at it. And maybe off screen, since, they, since then they've apologized and made up with the two giants. Because if you're stuck on an island, you don't necessarily want to piss off the two most powerful living beings on the island. Or what I think is that the giants really don't care much about anything other than their duel and essentially have forgotten about it or gotten past what happened. So yeah, yeah, it's a just very he- healthy mentality. As we see in the next installment, which is considered the extra installment, presumably because it doesn't include any of the Baroque Works agents, we see Broggy and Dory right back at it in the same exact pose of hitting each other at the same time as when we were first introduced to them. Except this time, they don't have their weapons because obviously they were destroyed when they helped the Straw Hats leave the island. So now they're just punching each other at the same time. So it's nice to see they're still going strong and enjoying their lifelong duel and friendship. Anyways, back to the main story at hand. We see that on their flight, it starts to rain and begins to wash away the colors trap symbol on the pterodactyl. And he starts to regain control and then decides to drop them all. And they somehow managed to survive the massive fall onto the island. Like, I understand Miss Valentine could probably survive that, but the other two, a little bit more unrealistic. But now this island that they land on may or may not look a little familiar to you. This is actually Kyuka Island. Now, Kyuka is just Japanese for vacation, so it's essentially called Vacation Island. So this is an island we've actually already been been to and briefly seen just before the little garden arc it's actually where we're first introduced to mr three and miss golden week as we saw them lounging around when they get their orders to head to little garden to head off the straw hats and so yeah we saw a little bit of this island already and it makes sense since they were the ones closest by that this island would actually be pretty close to little garden but it's also kind of a huge coincidence that in the grand line they somehow managed to get back to this island So yeah, it was pretty lucky that they landed there, but unlucky for them though, because the Marines are also taking a break on the island. Specifically, Captain Hina and her crew, including Django and Full Body, are all there. However, they are in the process of tracking down the remaining Baroqueworks agents, starting with Mr. Three. But in the very next installment, we find out that Bonecray did in fact manage to get away from Hina as well after sacrificing himself for the Straw Hats in Arabasta, which I find miraculous, and you kind of wish you got to see how he managed that. I'd like to think in my own headcanon that he copied a Marine and used his Mane Mane no Mi abilities to just kind of sneak away as one of the Marine soldiers. So yeah, Hina is not only after Mr. 3, but Mr. 2 as well. Now, the trio decide to get some really bad disguises in hopes of avoiding Hina, but that goes to shit as immediately she recognizes and captures Miss Valentine in the, in the attempt to escape. 
Hina then sends a message via a big billboard to lure the remaining agents out. And the sign in Japanese, depending on what version you see,、um, the sign actually reads quote, To the three remnants of the Baroque works, if by sundown you don't come to the Western Harbor, we will hang Miss Valentine, signed Marine Headquarters. And so, yeah, that's what it says on the billboard. I'm sure if you saw an English copy, like a Viz translation, they probably translated this sign as well already, anyways. But that's just what it says on the Japanese version. The funny thing about this particular installment is that the chapter it's attached to, so chapter 381, the actual title of the chapter is called Fired. Referring to Polly's request to Zoro to inform Kaku and the rest of the CP9 agents that they're all fired. But in Japanese, the word to fire someone or get fired from a job is called kubi, which can also mean neck. So I just find it funny that the cover story installment that deals with the subject of an execution by hanging is also titled neck in a double meaning way. <laughs> I have no way of knowing if this is like a coincidence or. Something that was intentionally done by Oda. But judging by Oda's strange sense of humor sometimes, I think it's, it's that creeping up here. <laughs> And he just kind of coincided, not coincidentally, but it, like a happy accident that he was able to do that. We then cut away to Mr. Three, who happens to actually be on the island trying to sneak away. But seriously, for a guy who is trying to hide and be all incognito, he certainly sucks at it as he's still got a. You know, his hair in a big three, and he's wearing clothes that are plastered with the number three all over it. Like, <laughs> you're doing a terrible job of hiding. But just as he's about to leave and abandon his former subordinates, a mysterious figure appears before him, and it turns out to be none other than Mr. Two Boncre, which is an amazing coincidence again, unless he kind of like stowed away on Mr. Three's ship or followed Hina. To this island, or I don't know, after the events, somehow he made it to this island. I, I don't know. That part still isn't really all that clear to me. However, Boncre, unlike Mr. Three, has got the right idea when it comes to staying under the radar, as instead of his usual flamboyant look, he's actually dressed in a very neat black suit, very different from what he would normally be seen in, which is the ballerina outfit. And Which kind of makes sense from a character standpoint, since Mr. Two Boncre is a master of disguise, and with his ability and all, he, he would be very good at finding good disguises. And it looks like Boncre's turn to good was, in fact, a permanent one, as the description in the 20th installment talks of how one can't step off the path of morality, probably referring to how he's trying to convey to Mr. Three that it's wrong to abandon the others and Miss Valentine. So, yeah. I like that Mr. Two is basically a good guy now. Miss Golden Week and Mr. Five prepare to try and attempt a rescue, which is clearly a trap, but then we see Mr. Three tied up and carting himself in front of Hina and the others with a note attached reading, I'm turning myself in. But twist! It's actually Boncre transformed after copying Mr. Three, and he begins to cause havoc. Causing enough of distraction, allowing Miss Golden Week and Mr. Five to grab Miss Valentine to escape. We then get a rematch between Boncre and Hina, to which Hina comes out on top. And I feel like for me, this is the first time I really 
understood just how powerful Hina's devil fruit, the Oriori no Mi or Cage Cage fruit, truly could be. Like the very little we saw of it on Alabasta or Arabasta, I didn't really think much of it. But after seeing this, I was like, yeah, this can be a very troublesome ability to fight against. Every time you come in contact with her during combat and just kind of like pass through her, she could potentially put you in a restraint of some sort. And that would really hinder your ability to fight back. One thing about this whole escape plan that was never quite clear to me was are Miss Golden Week and Mr. Five aware of what Bonecre and Mr. Three were going to do? Or was it just a happy coincidence that they all attacked at the same time? I feel like you could read it either way with with like no actual dialogue or any you know, anything, or maybe even one more scene of them meeting up. Although I suppose with the next installment being they just straight up abandoned Mr. Two and Mr. Three. So maybe they just saw it as a lucky opportunity and decided to make a break for it. If they were working together, you'd think they'd at least try and get everyone out. But Mr. Two has been known to be very self-sacrificial, so maybe he told them to go. Like I said, you could kind of read this either way. Um, As far as me, I think I'm leaning more towards the fact that it was a happy coincidence. I think the two pairs were working independently of each other, and it just happened to be a nice coincidence. In any case, the three of them get away by using Color's Trap, the Uragiri no Kuro, or uh, Betrayal Black, to commandeer a marine ship and sail away finally to the marine prison where the remaining Baroque Works agents are being held. They fake being captured in order to reach them, and here, finally, we get to see Crocodile and the others since the events of Arabasta, with them releasing the ladies first, then moving on to the guys where we see in both cells, even without their powers, they've basically taken out all the other prisoners, showing just how strong they are, even without their devil fruits. One funny bit of trivia is that in the original Shonen Jump release of this installment, it had a mistake and showed Crocodile with both of his hands instead of one of them being his hook hand. But this was obviously later fixed in future of the Tankoban you know, trade paperback volume releases and any subsequent re- releases as well. But with that, they're all reunited with the thinking they should restart the Baroque works again. But in a shocking and curious twist, Crocodile doesn't want to escape and opts to stay behind. And in a bit of loyalty, Mr. One also does the same. This is a really weird decision and seemed incredibly odd at the time I read this. And I think there's still much debate as to why he stayed. My personal thought is that he's really unmotivated and kind of going through sort of an existential crisis of sorts based on what we're about to be shown. Before that, though, I have to mention how the installment of When They Blow Up the Wall is titled The Great Six-Man and One-Gun Escape, indicating that Lasso is with them as well, which is a really fun nod. As a fun parting gift, Miss Golden Week decides to use what I imagine is her ultimate colors trap technique, Yume no Nijiro, or Rainbow of Dreams, that shows everyone what they truly dream of becoming. We learn that Miss Merry Christmas wants to be a princess and Miss Doublefinger wants to return to being Paula at the bar- as a bartender. While the other three want to essentially all become walking ironies, <laughs> to, to put it lightly. So Miss Valentine wants to become a chocolatier slash dessert maker, which obviously contrasts with her weight gain and loss ability since chocolate is a sweet that can make you gain weight. Mr. Five wants to be a fireman, which is hilarious considering his main abilities are to cause fiery explosions. 
And Mr. Four wants to become a pizza delivery man with gar- that guarantees 30-minute delivery times, which obviously contrasts starkly with how freaking slow he does everything. <laughs> and, oh, and then rather cutely, Lasso wants to become an even bigger gun by becoming a tank. So yeah, I find all of these really cool and fun. Then we get to the most interesting ones of all. First off, Mr. One wants to become a superhero, kind of showing that he has more depth to his character and he really was just sort of a mercenary that was doing what he was paid to do and told to do and didn't really necessarily isn't uh, an evil dude, which may go to explain partly why he decides to stay because maybe he feels responsible for what he did and feels he deserves to stay in prison to serve his time. I find that, yeah, I find that one really interesting. But the most interesting is saved for last as it's shown that Crocodile wants to become the Pirate King. That is his ultimate dream. So this revelation is incredibly interesting as it brings a whole new depth to Crocodile and kind of recontextualizes many of the things he said during his final fight with Luffy in the underground chamber. Like this means that that at one point before he became a Shibukai, he was a pirate similar to Luffy who was spurred on by Roger's declaration and had dreams and hopes of becoming the Pirate King. He had a crew and everything, but at some point, he was chewed up and spit out by the depths and terrors of the Grand Lion and was forced to give up. Two lines in particular that really catch my attention are when he questions Luffy about why he tries so hard and why he would even give up his life for Vivi's sake. And when Luffy screams back that it's because he doesn't want her to die because she's his nakama, it really strikes a nerve with him. And he tells Luffy, quote, What's a nakama or two? Abandon them and spare yourself the trouble. Don't be a fool. End quote. And later on in the fight, he also mentions, quote, Like I told you before, you're a rookie with delusions of grandeur, just like a thousand others. Now listen to me, brat. Men with a deep knowledge of the sea don't make such claims easily. But the more you know about the sea, the more impossible such dreams will seem. I mean, at the time, it just seemed like a villain trying to intimidate his opponent and getting annoyed at Luffy's naivety, trying to put him in his place. But upon looking at these two kind of throwaway lines, they actually seem to add way more depth to Crocodile and kind of give us a slight insight into Crocodile's backstory and motivations a little bit more. I mean, from this, we can kind of deduce that Crocodile was once a pirate with a crew who dreamed of becoming the Pirate King, as innocent as Luffy, but... Like so many others before and since Luffy, they realize the harsh realities that the path to the Pirate King and the Grand Line itself are nothing to scoff at, and they will eventually eat you up and spit you out, kind of disillusioning him, turning Crocodile into this sort of hardened and sadistic person that sought to control everything around him in an, after being in an uncontrollable environment like the Grand Line, with his criminal empire and ideas of a utopian society, while also seeking the power to take on the terrors of the Grand Line by seeking the ancient weapon Pluton. Like, when you look at it that way, like, it really makes sense why he wanted those two things so badly. Particularly the line about abandoning Nakama and that holding onto them basically is being really foolish hits hard in this context because he must have had a crew he cared about at one point But they either failed him or he failed them and lost them, which brought about this sort of view that putting your faith in your nakama is also foolish to the point where on his next goal round, when he constructed the Baroque works, 
He doesn't even bother to learn their real names and uses the very impersonal and detached way of structuring it by using only code names and using indirect messengers for the most part when communicating with all of his subordinates. But with Miss Golden Week's ability, it shows that Crocodile still hasn't quite thrown away his dream, which is probably why his defeat to Luffy hits so damn hard. Luffy just showed him that maybe it can be done and that his way of thinking was possibly wrong, making him sort of reevaluate what he wants to do with his life now. And until he figures that out, he'd rather just stay in prison. Crocodile is just like a insanely fascinating character and why to this day remains my favorite villain in the entire series. I just love Crocodile. And we'll talk a little bit more about him in the spoiler section as well. Anyways, getting back to the remainder of this story, the other six and gun head to some wilderness area on an island we're not really told where, and they find an abandoned bar, and they fix it up and establish a new spider's cafe where they all work at, you know, happily continuing the trend of Oda giving his past villains in his cover stories an entrepreneurial venture, which is, it's just funny how Oda somehow always gives them like new leases on life by having them come up with new businesses. But yeah, with the final two installments, we see that Mr. 2 and Mr. 3 were in fact captured this time by Hina and thrown in jail where they await to be taken to the Supermax prison Impel Down, which is the prison that Robin is currently trying to avoid getting taken to, to which begs the question, will we ever see these guys again? As it was told by us to us by Nami earlier that no one ever comes out of the Impel Down prison once taken there, but I have a feeling this won't be the last we see of these four. So yeah, that's the basis of the entire cover story. As far as my review of it, I personally love this cover story. It's definitely one of the more fun and interesting ones and has a big cast of characters. Even though it has a lot of installments, it feels like it moves at a very brisk pace because there's something happening important and interesting always in every single one of them. And like I've talked about extensively earlier, it sheds some light and dives deeper into several of the famous Baroque agents, and in particular Crocodile, as well as kind of giving us a little bit more of like Hina's power as well. But yeah, there you have it. The eighth cover story is now in the books. And I love that this is a great follow-up of events to Arabasta. One of my favorite arcs in the entire story, and, and also my favorite villain in the series, so it certainly doesn't disappoint as a follow-up to it. But yeah, next podcast, we'll get back to the regular rewatch and begin the final stretch of the Ennius Lobby arc. Anyways, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Also, you know, if the app that you're on it has the ability to give reviews, feel free to throw one up there as well. That would be greatly appreciated. And check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection, check those out as well. And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. Stay tuned for a spoiler section if you're interested in that. But if not, I hope to see you on the next episode. Stay safe out there, and bye! Alrighty, so spoiler sections. Like most of them, this will be largely unscripted and just me sort of rambling. 
But yeah, there's a lot to actually dive into with this uh, cover story. This plays a major role in a lot of the characters, I feel like, particularly, well, pretty much the final four guys that, that and we don't really see much of the Miss Golden Week and all the folks at the Spiders Cafe, but man, the ones that get sent to Impel Downs, they show up and play major roles in the story, which again, why don't they animate these? Like, I don't understand why they don't put them in the anime. But any in any case, yeah, so obviously Impel Downs is a whole arc in and of itself that we get to see later on when Luffy has to go in there to try and save Ace. And along the way, he ends up running into these four. We see Mr. Two, whose real name is Bentham. And then we also learn that Mr. Three's real name is Galdino. And then we see Crocodile and Mr. One or Dasbonus. Yeah, and we see all three of, or all four of them return in big ways. Particularly, obviously, Bonecray kind of does his own self-sacrificial thing again to help Luffy escape Impel Downs. And we haven't actually heard what has happened to him since the Impel Downs section but yeah, we see Mr. Three or Bentham go with Buggy after they escape the Impel Downs. And to the point where, yeah, it's interesting how all of them now ally with Luffy to a certain extent. And particularly Crocodile, how he plays a huge role in escaping Impel Downs as well as his role in the Marine Ford. And I think with Crocodile, it's really interesting. And I'm not going to go too much in depth because obviously we'll talk more about this when we get to this point in the series. But Crocodile has a huge, huge, like, arc now from, like, regaining his sort of purpose in life after sort of taking on all the major hitters during Marineford. Like, he's freaking awesome in Marineford from taking on Whitebeard, Akainu, the, you know, all these big guys to the point where now this is a major spoiler. So if you haven't really caught up to the manga in chapters 1059, I think, or at least 10, at least 1058, 1059, where the existence of this new group called the Cross Guild is established. And we later find out that it Buggy is sort of the figurehead of it, but the real idea came from Crocodile when he proposed an alliance with Mihawk, of all people. And so now Crocodile's basically got this sort of renewed sense of purpose after all of this stuff that he's gone through and it's just really interesting to see where he goes with this with his character and and i'm really glad that crocodile has a has a basically a major role in going into the final act of one piece like i I can't i can't wait to see what crocodile is up to with the cross guild and all of that but yeah, he's somehow figured out, you know, what his motivation is. He's not he's not necessarily like this reformed like really good character, but also he doesn't seem like he's going to be necessarily an antagonist to Luffy anymore and more so just sort of angry at the world <laughs> and getting revenge on particularly the Marines and the world government. And so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Anyways, yeah, that's pretty much everything I wanted to kind of talk about in the spoiler section. More so just, I love the fact that this had such a big role in shaping the rest of One Piece, not only with their return in Impel Downs, but all of them, except for maybe Moncre, having these sort of major long stories with both Crocodile and Das Bonus, like basically 
pairing up and and going on their own adventures, as well as Bentham now with Buggy as kind of his right hand person. And it's really, it is really crazy to think that these characters are still such major players when you thought they were basically just gone after their defeat. And so, yeah, I really like the, how this cover story and all their subsequent uh, stories kind of all wrap around and are still relevant towards the end and la- final stretch of One Piece. I just think it's so cool how Oda does that. But anyways, that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about in this spoiler section. More so just gushing about how Oda just keeps reintroducing characters. Anyways, thanks for listening, and I will see you on the next episode. See ya. See ya.